Good morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I'm going to give you some stats this morning. I'm not one who gives a whole lot of that kind of thing, but I think there are times that it, it calls for it. Um, these are the most recent 2019 uh, statistics by what is called uh, Open Doors. They track um, Christian persecution throughout the world. And what they have discovered is that followers of Jesus, they are the most persecuted religious groups in the world, or one of the most. And that includes threats, unjust imprisonment, loss of home, loss of family, loss of, of assets. Some people are being beaten physically, they're raped, and some are even killed. Last year, 2018, Newsweek said the persecution and genocide of Christians across the world is worse today than in any other time in history. And based on these 2019 statistics, and I'm not going to give you all of them at all, but on average throughout the world, every month 345 Christians are killed by faith-related reasons. 105 churches and Christian buildings are burned or attacked. 219 Christians are detained without trial. They're arrested and they are imprisoned. And in the annual Worldwide Watch, as it is, is known, it's based on the top 50 countries throughout the world. And based on those top 50 countries, they have found that there are 245 million Christians that experience high levels of persecution in the countries on the World Watch list. Also worldwide, one in nine Christians experience high levels of persecution. North Korea has been ranked number one for the 18th consecutive year as the most dangerous place for Christians um, to live. Also, we found that, or they found that Islamic oppression fuels Christian persecution in eight of those top 10 countries as the, those who most persecute. And that, that doesn't mean necessarily that everyone who believes in Islam, they're out trying to kill you and everything else. But it is saying that of those top 10, eight of those countries, um, this is where this persecution is coming from. For the very first time, India has made the top 10 lists of the most persecuted countries. And this is because of Hindu nationalists that we find. Uh, we have a... Uh, a missionary point over there. Lewis can tell you some things about what's going on, not necessarily to them uh, as what's happening in other places with Christians. China has jumped 16 spots from 2018 to 2019. They went from 43 to uh, 27 on that list. And those two countries are the two most populated countries in all the world. And we're seeing this, this major spike in those two countries uh, alone. The Chinese government has started a campaign to try to destroy church buildings. Uh, all Christianity-based structures in places, they have uh, begun with, with one that hosts like 50,000 Christian worshipers every week. Um, and so we see these things worldwide. And, and we're seeing these things here in the United States to some degree, not to those degrees. 
The persecution of Christians here is on the rise. And where they're found is on college campuses, uh, where this has, has become a real problem. Throughout our country, the outspoken Christians are regularly demeaned, they're humiliated, they're targeted for their beliefs. Academics, uh, uh, social groups, college organizations, they regularly ridicule Christians by calling them hateful, bigoted, privileged, uh, among other things. And it's simply because they stand for a certain type of value. Now, we haven't seen the kind of things that we've talked about in some of these other countries. But what we're seeing is this, this kind of thing is continuing to build. And we talk about praying for our kids. You know, and we pray for these kids last week, not just going back to school, but also going back to college. We've got some of the kids, I'm, I'm thankful, my, one of my boys is able to go to a Christian college. I, one of my other boys, he's, he's going to a state college. There's a real difference that you find in those. And it doesn't mean we have to isolate ourselves from those places or that you're wrong if your kids go there. In fact, I think you'll see that it's also important for, for God's people to be in these places. Uh, but you see that these are becoming some very difficult places for people of faith. So let me give you some positive news. Because <laughs> you hadn't really heard much of that yet. And the positive news is this. We don't have to be afraid. We really don't. We do not have to be fearful. Mark is going to share some things with us that is absolutely going to, to tell us that we should not be afraid, but it also has another message that's packed within it. It's another one of Mark's sandwiches. We've talked about these. They're great, aren't they? Mark will, will start with story number one, and then suddenly it is interrupted by a second story. And then after the second story, then it goes back to the first story. And, and, and it looks like almost, well, you know, maybe when they translated, they messed up. No, this is Mark's way of communicating to us. He wants us to see certain things. So let's go ahead and look at this first story, the first part of the sandwich, which is the 12 are sent. The 12 disciples are sent. So if you open up your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 6. I mean, chapter 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Where, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out demons and, uh, and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So Jesus, in the first chapter, he launches his ministry, does he not? In chapter 1, and he, he's telling, listen, repent. He's telling the Jews, repent and, and come to believe the good news that Jesus is bringing. Uh, put your faith in this. And so the 12 are finally, they're going out and they are in the authority of Jesus. And they are speaking the mission of Jesus. And they represent the things that Jesus did. And it's awesome. And when you see it, you realize, oh wow, they're 
they're casting out demons. They're healing people who are sick, as well as sharing this ministry. And this seems a little odd if you've been keeping up with Mark. And the reason this seems a little odd is, if we know anything about these guys, is they don't even really know who Jesus is. I mean, they know that Jesus has come from God, but they're not getting it. These guys have really lacked faith. They have a weak faith at times. In fact, next week when we come back uh, and Jesus feeds the 5,000, guess what? Their faith is weak again. And they're just going to see this about the. And it's like, why are you sending these guys out? I mean, seriously, Jesus, I, I don't know if this is really a smart thing to do. But the fulfillment of the word of God, listen, get this, the fulfillment of the word of God is not based on perfect knowledge. It's not based on perfect abilities. It is accomplished not even by flawless faith. It's accomplished by the call and the equipping of Jesus. We're not meant to see the 12 apostles and just be in awe of them. We're not to see them as this elite group of super followers. They came from blue-collar jobs, most of them. They had not had any religious training. One of them, he had been the scum of the earth. He had been a, a tax collector, if you know anything about it in that day and time. You do realize one of these guys is going to betray Jesus. And these are the ones that are sent. And what happens is, we're, we're supposed to look at this, and when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus and sharing, which is part of being a disciple, all of our excuses just begin to melt away, doesn't it? Well, you know, I just don't know the Bible enough. Well, you know, right now my faith isn't as strong. Or I don't have the kind of abilities that this person over here really has. And then we look at the twelve. And we realize, you know what? It's not in them. What happens comes from the power and the gifting of God. All we're to do is go. And, 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 and God does things that we, we aren't even realizing. Because often what we do is we focus on what we're doing. And not on maybe what God is doing with the things that we're doing. Okay, let's keep going. Because we want to get to the next part of the sandwich, right? We've got to get to the meat of the sandwich. The death of John. Death of John the baptizer. All right, so go to chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 14. We're going to break it up into two sections here. So verse 14, King Herod heard of it. Heard of it, that is Jesus going out and doing and so forth. For Jesus' name has become known... Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's, wife because he had married her and John had been saying to Herod it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife 
And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. A lot of crazy stuff. Here's the center of Mark's sandwich. And it's like, what in the world does this second story have to do with the first story of these 12 being sent out? Right? And what we find here is this flashback. Now, John, has our, John was arrested back in chapter 1. He's already dead. We, John didn't, I mean, Mark didn't tell us that he was dead. He waits until now. And the reason is because he places it here for strategic purposes. He wants us to see something. And the reason is that, that Jesus' um, ministry is ruffling the feathers of the political world. Now, let me go real boring on you for a second. All right, let me tell you about this wonderful family of Herod. There is Herod the Great. Many of you have heard of Herod the Great. If you, if you kids in school, you will, you will study about Herod the Great more than likely. He had some sons, and one of those is Herod Antipas. That's the Herod that we're reading about in our text. And so his father was appointed king of the Jews. However, when Herod the Great died, he didn't want to give all the power over to one of their sons. Because guess what? They're pretty vile people. So he, he, he hands it over into these, these, this is the area of Herod the Great. And so he puts them, gives them each one different territories. So the guy we're talking about, Herod Antipas, he's orange, okay? We're going to color code, code things here. He is the guy in the orange. So Rome didn't want to put these guys in power. He knew how vile that they were. Now, now try to keep up. Because here we find that Herod Antipas, he has an affair with his sister-in-law, Herodias, uh, who, by the way, uh, is married to his half-brother, um, Antipas's half-brother, Philip. And also, she is their niece. Okay, is that, does that clear up everything for you? I'm sure it does. Start feeling a little better about our politicians of our day, right? So, she, uh, so there is this, this divorce. Um, the first wife... Uh, you know, Antipas is, he wants her to divorce her husband, Philip, which is his half-brother. And she says, okay, as long as you divorce your wife, and that's a whole nother thing, and they do. And there is this major upheaval, and we're not even going to talk about that. What I do want you to see is that because of this, John the baptizer, he has some things to say. And he is going against, whoo, that went fast, didn't it? Somebody want my sermon over quick. Uh, so he preaches against their incest. This is, this is what the main thrust of this is about. There's protests that are going on. Okay, There's, as we go through Mark and keep going through in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see how even this relates to our lives, okay? I just want you to see the corruption that's happening in the world at that particular time. Herodias wanted John dead. Antipas did not want him dead. But guess what? He was beheaded. He was killed. Time passes, and all of a sudden, he hears about this other guy, prophet, 
by the name of Jesus and his followers. And he thinks that Jesus is Herod that has been raised from the dead. I mean, thinks not Herod, but John the Baptist who has been raised from the dead. And that is when we are given the tragic details, details about what happened that night. So notice verse 21, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and she said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came out immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That's pretty specific. And the king was exceedingly sorrowful, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Talk about your Mother's Day gifts. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Everything about this, folks, is just vile. It's just vile. From the plotting of Herodias to whatever kind of dance that his, his daughter-in-law has done before him and make him lust in such a way and make this, this rash promise. And we see that John the baptizer the guy that Jesus said, he is the greatest man who has been born of woman. He's killed at the request of an exotic dancer. And that really is it. And yet, even dead, we see that John is more powerful than Herod, uh, than Herod alive. He will always be known for his crimes. And, he, and John will always be known as the forerunner of Jesus. And what we see here is that John, once again, is being mentioned, and he is the forerunner of Jesus. And this time, he is the forerunner of his death. In fact, in class, we looked at this a little bit more specifically, but let me just show you how these two deaths uh, were brought together. They both were handed over to die. Both were executed by political tyrants. Both suffered violent deaths. Both die as righteous and holy. Both had disciples who asked for their bodies for a proper burial. You just can't get around. Now, everything so far is gloom and doom. And you're like, I, I, I don't see this sandwich. Well, we've got to get to the bottom. So we're ready for the bottom of the sandwich. You ready? It's verse 30. This is it. You ready? The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. You got it? <laughs> I know it's like, What? The disciples are back. They return. Mark's message is this. Evil will not win. 
Evil will not win. The kingdom will advance despite harassment and despite persecution of even those in the highest political powers. And that as one is brought up and continues to share and to believe in Jesus, as he is taken down by the powers of the world, 12 more rise up. 12 more will take the place of the martyrs. And I don't think it's about giving a specific number, but it's to say that this is going to continue. We are to count the cost as being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Whoever would follow Jesus, we have to look at John. We have to consider that as being our own fate. And for some Christians around the world, this is exactly what's happened. Literally. Some of you remember back in in 2015 when 20 Coptic Christians, they were beheaded for their faith. And I went back and I I looked, uh, read up about uh, what this was about. And, and just reading some of the stuff in there. And one of the fathers of, of, of one killed said, Thanks be to God, he died a hero. He did not beg anyone to spare his life, and he and his brothers, the martyrs, did not abandon their faith or homeland. Now, get this. Just going and studying this, I found out something. Mark who is the penman of our gospel. Mark is said to have brought Christianity to Egypt and founded the Coptic church during the first century. It is one of the oldest churches in the Middle East, and it is the first church that was ever founded in Egypt, or rather Africa. And these people still are dealing with persecution. Even after... Thousands of years, they are forbidden to convert Muslims to Christianity. They suffer violence, discrimination, and oppression. They're not allowed to hold high offices in the political realm. There is no hope for persecution for them to end. In 2011, one of their churches was bombed and it killed 20 people. In 2016, ISIS used a suicide bomber against one of the cathedrals in Cairo. In 2017, hundreds of Coptic families fled after a series of ISIS claim uh, killings in uh, northern Sinai. Some of you remember that. And yet, as one is martyred, more rise up. They have not killed off the Coptic Christians, even after thousands of years. And they're not going to. Because despite persecution, they remain. The message of Christ lives on. The question we have to ask ourselves is, would we be willing, if we lived in these lands, or if our country gets to a point that we begin to see Christianity being, uh, dealing with lots of other things, not just, you know, being martyred, but maybe even losing your job, or or maybe, you know, you you lose your house, or maybe it's going to make you homeless, or maybe, you know, you may be beat up, or whatever, would you be willing to continue to remain in your faith in Jesus. The death of Jesus and his resurrection tells us that the sting of death is over. The persecutors are on the losing side. 
And even though people will continue to try to bring us down, we're on the winning side. The victory has already been won in Jesus. The only question left is, will we follow him till the end? Will we follow him to the end? Over the years, American churches, and I've been one of those, that has used Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, be faithful unto death. And I, I've used this to mean we are to be faithful to the church. That we are to be here when the doors are opened. Uh, and, this, and it's not that we shouldn't cherish our time together and this type of thing. But have you ever read the rest of Revelation 2 verse 10? He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the church in Smyrna. The church in Smyrna, they are being opposed by non-Messianic Jews and also pagans who are involved in, in uh, emperor worship. They gave their loyalty to Domitian, but they said, we cannot make sacrifices to you. And because of that, they were fined. They lost their citizenship. They lost their businesses, their jobs. Some of them, their children were taken away. Some of them were tortured. And then there were those who were martyred. And some of you have at least heard maybe of one of those. This came 60 years after this letter was written to Revelation, and it's Polycarp. Polycarp was an elder in the church at Smyrna, and he was burned alive for his faith. Jesus tells us who's all behind it there in Revelation. It's the devil. Folks, you know, listen, don't be scared of Revelation. Don't be scared of Revelation. In fact, if you're not scared of the Old Testament, you're not going to be scared of, of, of Revelation because pretty much everything that's in there has been repeated out of the Old Testament. It's, it's great. It's, it's a language. And what we find is the Roman Empire was risen up by Satan himself. We look and many people today will say that is the greatest and most dominant nation that has ever walked the face of the earth. And what Revelation is telling us, it was raised up by Satan himself and for the sole purpose of destroying Christianity. I am here in 2019 to tell you they didn't succeed. The message to the persecuted church is remain faithful, even if it means death. You were promised a crown of life or a wreath, as they may use it, uh, as it was referred to back then. It was something that was placed on the victor's head at, at their athletic games. And what he's saying is, this is a person who is a conqueror. They've conquered over evil. And the message that, John, that Mark gives here with the sandwich is this, trust Jesus. Hold on. Because even if they kill one of us, 12 more will rise up. They will not defeat us. We do not have to be afraid. And death is not the ultimate 
uh, <laughs> the ultimate punishment, folks, because we know that when we die, something blessed happens to us. Listen, there's a lot of talk out there about our country and other countries and what's happening. And, and I believe that unless something changes, this is just going to continue. I, I think that our society really builds itself off of that because of things like social media and we, we have news so quickly and, and some like to report certain things that, you know, that gets things going and there's always going to be this divide, I think, that's going to be here unless something major happens. But listen, we don't, we are not afraid. Trust Jesus. Trust him. And that's the message. And if we can help you this morning, and maybe you need some prayers about some things going on in your life, maybe, maybe you're finding yourself faltering in this way, we want to help you. And maybe you're not a Christian, and you wanna, you're like, well, what does all this mean? We want to tell you. But listen, if you're, a, if you're a child of God, do not be afraid. 